you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn with us to uh, Exodus 20. A few weeks ago, we started a new series um, on the Ten Commandments titled God's Glory and Our Good, which is what the Ten Commandments are for. They're for God's glory, and they are good for us. They're for our good. And today we're looking at the third verse, and I wanted to read for us from Exodus 20, the first seven verses to lead us up through the commandment we're going to be looking at today. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen behind me. So Exodus 20, 1 through 7. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And this is the word of the Lord. God's purpose for his word is to make himself known to us, that we would in response know God, trust in him, live a life of worship, making him known, not ourselves, but living for him and his glory living for his name. In our call to worship this morning from Psalm 34, um, as Shannon mentioned this, we were called to exalt the Lord, exalt his name, to be exact. And this word exalt is not one that we probably use a lot in our everyday language, but it is a word that means to revere, to glorify, to praise, to set apart. God has created us to exalt his name, it's to be set apart, it's to be glorified and honored. And all throughout scripture, we see God making for himself a people that will glorify him, that will exalt his name. We see this with the nation of Israel, the nation that received these 10 commandments. Right before they received them, God chose them an undeserving people. He chose them, he brought them out of slavery and in Exodus 19, God says that they are to be a kingdom of priests who will represent, them to the surround, represent him to the surrounding nations to make him known in all the world. When we get to the New Testament, we see that God's people now is no longer primarily a, an ethnic people, but it's, but, but it's for all people, Jew and Gentile, um, people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. In 1 Peter 2.9, we see Peter saying this of the church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We use this verse a lot in our worship here at Redeemer as a call to worship, sometimes as a benediction, so that we might understand who we are and what we were created to do. And that's to make God's name known, to proclaim excellent things about him. That's God's purpose for his people. 
And while we're to make him known with our words, we're also to make him known with our deeds. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're to glorify God with our deeds. We all know 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do to offer the glory of God. The third commandment is what we are looking at today. And Shannon has rightly noted the last few weeks that the first four commandments reveal to us what it looks like to be in right relationship with God. What it looks like if we love God, we're going to keep these four commandments. And this third commandment, if we're going to love God, we are going to honor him. We are going to honor his name. We can be tempted to think that only the first two commandments of these first four, only the first two are the big ones, right? You shall worship only the Lord your God. Second, you shall worship him rightly, not use any idols. Then we can get to the third commandment, don't take his name in vain. And we can easily just look past it, put a check by the box saying, all right, I'm not gonna use God's name as a curse word, right? When I stub my toe, I'm not gonna say the name of Jesus. Which that, this commandment does prohibit that. But it goes so much deeper when we think about what it means to not take the name of the Lord our God in vain, what it means to show honor to it. We see the severity of this command in Leviticus 24, 16. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. I like to start my sermons off with a bang. Now, this, this um, was obviously a civil law for the nation of Israel, all right? This is not a call for us to go and stone people who commit, who break this command. But it does still communicate the severity of taking God's name in vain. And so let's talk about names real quick. Before we get to the name of God, let's talk about names. We are all given names, Whenever we hear somebody's name, there's a lot that can come to mind. Perhaps when we hear a name, say Tom Brady, right, his reputation might come to mind. We think of all of his great accomplishments, right? Making it to nine Super Bowls, winning six of them, his multiple MVP seasons, right? Some consider him the greatest quarterback or football player of all time, right? The GOAT. Some people also might remember the bad things, right? Like his, like Deflategate if you know what I'm talking about, right? The scandal where he was accused of deflating football so he could better throw them, right? When you hear somebody's name, their, their reputation, their history might come to mind, right? How you feel about them comes to mind. But also, too, names, names in and of themselves reveal something about us. Names are not something that we choose ourselves, but they are given to us. Um, they, they, reveal to, they reveal to others our family associations. We think of in Romeo and Juliet, right? The Montagues and Capulets. It's been a long time since I've been in literature class, so I don't know if I pronounced those names the right way, okay? But you all know the story. These two lovers who belong to different families, and because of their families, their associations, they, they know they cannot be together. But when, some, when people hear our names, our last names, they, they know what family we belong to, Right? 
Also, our names that are given to us can reveal to others what our, who our family's heroes are. Right? If, if we have kids who are all, like three sons who are all have biblical names like David, Isaiah, maybe even daughter like Lydia, right? These names probably tell other people that um, there, there's something about these individuals, these biblical characters that we admire, that we hope our children aspire to be like in some way, to honor the qualities that we see in these biblical characters, all right? And for this very same reason, there's some names that we probably don't name our children. Last time I checked, Jezebel and Judas weren't too popular. There are also other names too, like Hope, and grace, right? These names that we give our, might give our daughters because we value hope, we value grace, we want them to grow up with hope in their hearts and knowing God's grace. Our names can reveal something about us. But, all t- but two, our names can be misleading. Just because our name is great, might be grace, does not mean we're going to grow up to be a gracious person. Or because our name is hope, we might not be a very hopeful person, Right? Even when we look at Romeo and Juliet, they did not live up to their family associations, right? Because of their last name, people had certain expectations. Their family had certain expectations of them. You will not be with somebody from that other family, but they did not live up to their family's expectations and associations. Their name really did not communicate properly their affection for one another. But when we think of God's name, unlike every other name, only God both names himself and he names himself perfectly. His name perfectly communicates who he is. In Exodus 3, when God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush, he reveals that his name is I am who I am, Yahweh. He reveals himself as the only self-existent one, the uncreated one. When we hear his name, we're reminded of who he is and what he has done for us. There's a lot that, we should be, that should come to our minds when we hear this name. He's the only God, the only uncreated one. We were created by him. One thing that is so awesome and remarkable is that this name, when we think about the name of God, how glorious it is, when Moses asks to see God's glory in Exodus 33, The Lord answered him in verse 19, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will announce my name, the Lord, so you can hear it. When Moses asks to see the glory of God, what what does God do? He announces his name to him. I didn't catch that for the longest time. And I think that is so incredible. When we hear God's name, his name is glorious. There's glory in it. God is revealing himself to us using his name. And we cannot separate his name from who he is. Right? And when, when we think of a psalm like Psalm 103, where we are called to bless his name, to worship in his name, what, what, what that psalm is telling us to do is to worship him, to bless him. When we talk about his name, we're talking about God, Right? When we sing songs like, oh, praise the name, we're singing, oh, praise God. When we're singing, center my life on your name, which we sing often here, we're saying, God, center my life around you. We cannot separate God from his name. And his name is holy. We're to bless his holy name. And it's the name that is above every other. It's the name of the highest value. There is no other name like it. 
Every other name falls short, but God's name is perfect, and it perfectly communicates who he is. It is the highest name, the name that is above all. We see that in Philippians 2. So when we use this name, we are to use this name reverently and appropriately, not using it in vain. So I want us to think about that for a minute, what it means to use God's name in vain. In the Hebrew language, what this meant was to not take on or bear God's name for a worthless purpose or to devalue God's name. Not that we can take any value away from God's name or add anything to it. God's value is fixed. It is of the highest value, but we can treat it as, it is, as if it is not as valuable as it is. We can dishonor God's name. We can dishonor God. And two, when we think about this, we're not just referring to the name Yahweh, right? In, in our Bibles, um, even in this verse, when we we're told not to take the name of the Lord in vain, God reveals himself as Yahweh. In our Bibles, when we see the word Lord in all caps, Shannon brought this um, to our attention a few weeks ago, that the translators do that in place of Yahweh, right? It's not just the name Yahweh, but because we cannot disassociate God's name from who God is, any of the names that we use for God, we are not to use them flippantly. And I think this is probably the most common understanding of this verse, right? In today's culture, we can be tempted to adopt the spirit of the age and speak or act um, or think of God in an over-casual way. And sometimes this leads us just to be really casual and flippant with God's name. As I mentioned earlier, when we stub our toe or when something dramatic happens on TV or in a football game, we're not to, we're not to exclaim, OMG, right? We're to show honor to God's name, to use it reverently, not to use it mindlessly, not to say the name of God without thinking about him, not thinking about the honor that he, his name is due. Another way that we can use God's name irreverently is by downplaying our relationship with him. And I, I see this, I have seen this, um, for example, on the popular t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. Perhaps y'all have seen those t-shirts. There's like a picture of Jesus and it says, Jesus is my homeboy, which there is an old hymn, beautiful old hymn called Jesus, friend of sinners, because it's trying to communicate how God draws near to us and loves us. But to say, Jesus is my homeboy, I think is, is devaluing who God is. It's an over-casual way of talking about God. When we speak of God in this over-casual way, I believe that we're taking God's name in vain. We're not showing it the honor that it is due. Okay. Also, when we say something against God, when we, when we curse God, when we accuse God of something, we are taking his name in vain because what we are saying, what we are doing in that moment when we accuse God of something, we're accusing him of not living up to his name, right? His name is holy, his name is good, his name is love. When we, are, when we accuse God of anything, of him not being good in our lives, of not providing, of not being holy, we are accusing him of not living up to his name. We are not bringing honor to it. Rather, we are bringing dishonor to God. So whenever we say anything negative, anything negative about God, when we're saying anything that is not true of God, we take God's name in vain. In the Old Testament, whenever um, the prophets, when they, they would speak to the people on God's beh behalf, 
Whenever they would speak, afterwards they would say, thus saith the Lord. If a prophet was to say something that was untrue, that God did not tell them, and then they would say, thus saith the Lord, right? Make a false prophecy, if you will. That was considered blaspheming the name of God, taking it in vain. And today as Christians, no one should be doing that. No one should say, God told me this, unless we believe that scripture itself told us that. If we, if, for instance, the girl, the high school girl who comes home from youth camp on a spiritual high, she feels the need to break up with her boyfriend and an easy out is, God told me to break up with you. Right? That, was, that was a common occurrence, not for me, but a common occurrence in high school, right? As, as friends, as high school guys dreaded their girlfriends coming home from camp because they knew it wasn't good news, right? <laughs> But I do believe that this is an example of taking God's name in vain, saying something that God did not say, right? If we, if we can say God told me something, we better be able to find it in Scripture or add it to the back of our Bibles because we are demanding that other people believe it. Okay, so we cannot say something untrue about God or say that God said something that he did not say. We also take God's name in vain when we make an unlawful oath or when we make a promise either to God or somebody else that we, uh, that we have no intention of keeping or, keeping or that we do not keep or when we are asking God to be a witness for us and approve of our false promise. For all of these are examples of taking God's name in vain. We are asking God to partake in untruthfulness. There's no lie in God. God is unable to tell a lie. God is the God of truth, okay? Whenever we make a vow, we are to keep it. Otherwise, we take God's name in vain. We do not only take God's name in vain with our words, we also take God's name in vain with our actions. If we are going to live in a manner consistent with his name, or sorry, if, if we are not going to live in a, in a manner consistent with his name, we devalue God's name. All throughout scripture, we see this call. We see this to the Israelites, be holy as I am holy. Then in the New Testament too, in 1 Peter, be holy as I am holy. We were created in his image to reflect his character to, to, so that the world can see us and know what God is like, right? When we walk in unholiness, we take his name in vain, we are telling the world one way or the other what we think God is like. If our, and we, we, we need to walk in holiness. That is what he created us for. If we do not do that, then we, in essence, with our lives, we are telling others that God is not as holy as he has told us that he is. We, we devalue God's name every time we as Christians put anything else before God or when we profess to know God, but deny him by our actions. In Titus 1.16, it says just this, they profess to know God, but deny him by their works. We don't want there to be a disconnect between our words and our actions. I think a great illustration of this is found in marriage. When a woman, when a bride marries her husband, she takes on his name. Just as we as Christians, the body of Christ or the bride of Christ, right? Christ is our husband. We, have, we bear his name now. We are Christians, 
right? We take God's name in vain. We dishonor his name when we don't live as if Christ is our husband. Just like a woman who has taken on her husband's name, rather than clinging to him, she runs off with other lovers. She's not showing honor to God's name. This is how we bring dishonor to God's name in our actions, okay? So it's not just with our words, but also with our actions, but also we can bring dishonor to God with our motivations, okay? Um, we've all been around somebody who, who might name drop, you know, casually in their conversations, talk about, you know, their buddy Tony, maybe referring to Tony Romo, you know, like, oh, I was just grabbing dinner the other day with my buddy Tony, or whoever it is, somebody of higher social status than maybe you, and so you're using that association to kind of build yourself up, to elevate your own social standing, to make yourself sound more impressive to somebody else. We can do this with our faith, use our faith, our identity as God's children, not to make much of Christ, but to build ourselves up. We can take God's name in vain when we use our faith to build ourselves up, to puff ourselves up, ourselves up rather than making much of Christ. Really good example of this you see this sometimes um, in politics, politicians um, claiming that they are Christians and um, you see this, there's a show that I really like. Angela and I have been watching this show. We've gotten away from it the last few weeks. This is us, maybe you watch This Is Us. Recently, my favorite character, Randall, was running for city council and um, he was not a church-going man. Um, but as he begins running for council, what does he begin doing? He starts attending church so that people would see him, that they would think highly of him so that they might feel more comfortable voting for him. Right? He's taking, that's an, I think it's a really good example of taking God's name in vain, using our association with God for our own gain rather than his glory. Okay? We don't want to use our faith to promote ourselves, but we want to promote our God, make much of his name, to show his name as, the high, of, as of the highest value. And so we do have to ask ourselves, do the words that we use hinder others from seeing the character and worth of God? And also, does the way that we live hinder others from understanding the character and worth of God? How will people know and understand who God is, if, our, if we're saying different things with our words and our actions, we're sending a confused message. If when we are telling people that God is holy and good and righteous and worthy of our lives, but our, the way that we live is telling a different story, okay? So we wanna bring honor to God by our words and our actions. And this does bring us to the implicit positive command here, because this command is explicitly um, a command of prohibition. It commands us not to take God's name in vain, but it also exhorts us to do something, commands us to do something, and that is to honor God's name. And we see this in the New Testament when Jesus is teaching us how to pray. How does he begin? He begins by saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. His desire is to see God's name seen as holy, as set apart, as the name of the highest value. That, that should teach us how we should view God's name and how we should seek to make his name valued above all. So how are some ways that we can do this? We can show God honor by the words that we use. We, thinking about this, 
we should, I think we should start first in our families. In our families, is it evident to our family members that we value God above all? That his name is the highest name in our lives. This should be evident in how we talk about God and how we share him with others in our family. Is it evident to our, our neighbors, our friends, that God's name is the highest name in our lives, that we value his name above all? Is it evident among our coworkers or would our coworkers or neighbors, maybe even some family members, be surprised if they, if they were to find out that we say that we value God's name above all? It should be evident in our words. We should be explicit about where our loyalties lie and who our treasure is. We also bring honor to God through our, through our obedience to his commands. Our deeds need to line up with our words. And to cheat a little bit, you know, how do we bring honor to God? By obeying his commands, going back to the first commandment, right? We worship God alone. We trust alone in Christ for our salvation. And the second command, you know, we worship God the way that he has created us to worship him. We shall not make for ourselves any idols of him, but we worship him in truth. We bring dishonor to God. We, we profane his name when we worship anybody other than God, when we worship him in ways that he has not told us to. When we break any of his commands, we bring dishonor to God in his name. But we bring honor to God when by faith we walk in obedience to these commands. In doing so, we are showing that we believe that God's ways are best. And because he is our creator, his ways are best for us. His ways are of the highest value because he is of the highest value in our lives. We trust him. That should be demonstrated in the decisions that we make. It should be, dim- it should be evident in our obedience. Okay? We, also, um, we also show honor to God by value- valuing ultimately his approval of our lives. Is his opinion of the highest value in our lives? Do we value his opinion over others? Now, there's nothing wrong with valuing other people's opinions, but only insofar as they help guide us to ultimately what, God, what God's opinion is, right? Our families, we should value their opinions and the decisions that we make, and our friends, our churches, but, but ultimately, we want to know that we have God's approval in our lives, that we're seeking his will for our lives. We are listening to him. Is his, his, his approval what matters most? His opinion what matters most. If, and if we do this well, if we seek to honor God above all, there, there will be evidence of it. There, there are a few things that I want to talk about today of how we can show honor to God in some real specific ways. In our life group, we um, have often spoken of the importance of not just giving God the cracks in our day. We can go throughout our day planning our days um, while not carving out time for God. And instead, we just, those little cracks that we have of five minutes here, maybe two minutes there, that, that's the time that we, that we use to fill with spending time with God. Don't believe that we are showing honor to God. We're not saying that his time is valuable when we only fill our cracks with um, spending time with God. Okay. Our time management shows whose time we value the most and who we put our trust in. 
If we value God and his name above all, we should carve out time to spend with him. The amount of time that is should look differently for all, but all, we should acknowledge that all of our time is God's time. We should be intentional about actually carving out time to spend in prayer, to spend in his word. That's on a daily basis. Let's also think about weekly. As Christians, we should really value meeting together every week. This is something that's kind of fallen out of style, I think. But as Christians, we need to value meeting together. In Hebrews 4, we are told not to neglect meeting with one another, but all the more. This is one way that we can show to the world around us who we value. Are we more willing? I think these are some valid questions. Are we more willing to miss church than we are to miss work? Are we more willing to show up late for church than we are to show up late for work? What does this communicate about our reverence for God? I know that I would bring a lot of, I would really frustrate my wife and bring dishonor to her. If, I, if she wanted to go on a really nice date, say to Zanata, and for some reason we were driving separate cars, I don't know, but we set a time at seven o'clock. That's when we've decided to meet and I consistently show up late to that date or I show up late. I don't think that would, I'm not showing her that I value her. But we need, but in order to show that we value God, believe that we need to value the time that, we, that our church has decided to meet together on a weekly basis. And I believe that it's very important too to come prepared on Sunday mornings. Um, there's a lot of, um, like I mentioned earlier, we live in a very casual culture and we can be tempted to um, succumb to that culture even on Sunday mornings. We can think that Saturday nights are our time and so we don't get a good night's sleep on Saturday. So when Sunday morning rolls around, we don't show up to church prepared, maybe on time. We don't come ready to worship the living God together. We can even um, begin to sing unprepared. When we begin singing the praises of God, our, his name is, is, is being sung from our mouth, our lips, but our hearts are far, for, far from him because we are not prepared. I believe that that brings dishonor to God, and I believe that that is a very, very real example of taking God's name in vain. When we lift up our God, but our hearts are far from him, our minds are not engaged, we believe that brings dishonor to God. So I do believe that Sunday mornings, we need to value that time. We need to come prepared. If you, um, just, just ideas. <laughs> um, just to value getting a good night's sleep before church. Praying, pr- asking God to prepare you for what God's gonna do in church the next day. Asking God to prepare your heart. Asking God to, to prepare those who are volunteering and serving. Asking God to bless the pastor. Um, know, whoever is preaching the next day, if we know, we need to lift that person up. We need to lift up Shannon. Um, Pray for him as he heralds God's word. Okay. So I believe that we show great honor to God by honoring and valuing 
what he values. This leads me to my next point. We show honor to God by honoring those who bear his name. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus tells us that the way the world will know that we are God's disciples is by our love for one another. Our, our brothers and sisters in Christ bear the same name that we do. As Christians, they bear the name of Christ and we are to love them well. Honoring God means honoring what he cares about and those who bear his name. Do that by praying for one another, encouraging them well, serving them, helping meet their needs, celebrating their giftings, their victories, mourning with them when they mourn, watching out for them, carrying each other's burdens. The list goes on and on, meeting together. We're to love one another, be committed to one another, those who bear the name of Christ. And now, similarly, and finally, we show honor to God by identifying with his people and also with God himself. After Christ was resurrected, before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus commands us to publicly identify with him, being baptized into his name. This is a way of us publicly saying, and my life is not about me. My life is about him. My life is found in Christ. I've been buried with Christ into baptism and to death and raised to walk in newness of life. My, my life is found in him. My hope is in his name. And I do believe that we dishonor God's name if we put this off, seeing it as unimportant, calling ourselves Christians if we're unwilling to publicly be baptized into it. But instead, we bring great honor to God. We lift up God's name when we are baptized into it. I'm wrapping up soon. We must ask ourselves, does the way that we live, our priorities, our actions, our words, and character present a stumbling block to others knowing the holiness and the value of God? If so, we are taking the Lord's name in vain. We are bringing dishonor to it. Where do all of these things in our lives, do they display that the name of God is holy and of utmost supreme value, that, it, that God is able to satisfy us so we don't need to look, for, look elsewhere for satisfaction, but we find our satisfaction in God when we see his name as of the utmost value. That should be evident in our lives. Our lives are about making much of God's name. And the scariest aspect of this command for, for sinners is that it says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God is a God of justice who punishes sin. This is what makes the cross so amazing, so gracious. God does take sin seriously, so seriously that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place, taking on the punishment of our sin. God does not overlook sin, so we cannot come to this verse and ask, is this really a big deal? God shows us yes. Thing is, we're all guilty of it. But there is hope for us. Even as, the, even as we're all guilty of taking the Lord's name in vain, we know that our hope is not found in trying harder to keep this command. It's not. Our hope is in Jesus who prayed, our Father, hallowed be your name. And yet he perfectly honored God in his life. There was no disconnect between his prayers, his words, his life, any of his motivations. They're in perfect unison. He lived for the name of God, making him known. There was no disconnect between his Sabbath days and the other six. This Jesus 
is the one who died in place of those who have dishonored God's name. And in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, we do read, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's Yahweh. To the glory of God the Father. And there is coming a day when everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord. And those people will fall in two camps. There are those who with great joy will confess that name, will confess who our God is, confess that name, knowing that for all eternity we'll spend with him, worshiping him, living for his name, because we trusted in his name in this life. We turned from our sin, believed on Christ, that his name had the power to save. Or you can fall into the other camp. You can confess the name of God to your sorrow, knowing that for all eternity, your sin was not dealt with at the cross, but your sin will be dealt with for all eternity. Those are our two options. Either our sin was dealt with at the cross or for all eternity. You and I were created in the image of God to make much of him, to live in such a way that God is of supreme worth. That is our purpose in life. We will never find contentment or joy apart from living for his name, apart from honoring his name. We were not made to make much of ourselves, but much of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your name is worthy to be praised. It's the name of the highest value, highest worth. It's a beautiful name. And God, because of our sinfulness, God, we, so often we don't see it that way. Although, Lord, we might say one thing. God, we, we know intellectually, God, that, that your name is the highest name. God, our actions so often tell something else. That we believe it's more important to live for ourselves, to chase our own fleeting desires, to pursue them. Lord, would you please have mercy on us? God, when we, when we show dishonor to your name, when we show that, God, that your name does not have the power to satisfy us, it is not of the highest value. Lord, would you please have mercy on us and restore us? And God, to see your name is holy, to see your name is of the highest value, and to live for you, making your name known, not making ourselves known, but making your name known, God. So would you please protect us from walking in disobedience, taking it in vain. God, would you please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, fix our eyes on your son, Jesus. Help us to live for his name, bringing honor to it. Making his name known and showing to the world, God, that hope is only found in him. Everything was created for him. Lord, would you give us boldness? Would you give us strength? Please use us, God. As we sang earlier, God, the world is dying to know who you are. Literally. There are people who do not know you and who are going to die and face judgment not knowing you. And they're going to know on that day who you are, Lord, to their terror. But God, we want, to, we want them to know the joy that is found in knowing you now. So God, would you use us? Would you help us to honor your name? May your name be exalted above all. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name, the only name that can save. Amen.